Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter number 6. 1 Timothy 6, where we've been the last four Sundays. This is week number five in a seven-week series we've entitled Money Matters, talking about our biblical stewardship, and we've called it Money Matters. It's not only our money. Our stewardship is not just our money, it's all that God has entrusted to our care. We're stewards of our health, we're stewards of our relationships, of our careers, of our giftings, of of the the things that we've learned, of the tools that we have, of, of our family, of the children, of God's entrusted children to our care. We're stewards of all of these things. And so, while we are looking at some financial passages in Scripture, these principles apply uh, to all that God has given us. How are we using these things for God's glory? And again, as I mentioned, this is week number five in this series. And every week we've answered a question. We've, we've started in this passage, 1 Timothy 6, and some weeks we've gone into other passages as well. Today we're going to be staying only uh, solely in this chapter in 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy, as I've said almost every week, is what we call a pastoral epistle. It's a letter written to a pastor. So the Apostle Paul is writing it to his son in the faith, Timothy, and Timothy is a young pastor, and Paul is giving some thoughts to Timothy as a pastor. Here are some things that you need personally to be aware of and to be, to be living in your life. And then he comes, and in this chapter, chapter 6, he tells him, here are some things you need to teach the people. Not only do you need to know them. But you need to teach them to the people that God has entrusted to your care. And so that's what we've been looking at these four weeks, and we're going to look at our fifth question this morning. Before we get to that fifth question, I want to ask you to stop and think about what do we need to live our daily lives? What do we need? Not just what are the luxuries, but what do we truly need? Things that would totally change our lifestyles if we didn't have them. I want you to think about that. I thought about it, and I tried to come up with a list. I think the, one of the first ones we'd all come up with is probably food, right? We probably would all agree we need food. It would really change our daily lifestyles, and our life, lives wouldn't be very long if we didn't have food. Shelter, of course, is, is a part of our daily needing, needs for our daily lives. Clothing. We all need that, don't we? What, would, what about our cell phones? We, we kind of laugh and say we don't need those. Have you ever not, have you ever left house, your house and realized you forgot it? It would completely change our daily lifestyles, wouldn't it? It's amazing how quickly uh, we have become dependent upon these, and it's just a part of our existence to not have this for 24 hours. Wi-Fi, again, we kind of think as that is like a first world thing. I was a couple of years ago, Sammy and I traveled to Cuba on a, on a short, just for a few days, we were in Cuba on a short missions trip, and where we were staying, I had no cell reception, and they had Wi-Fi for two hours a day. You might think, I don't really, maybe some of you don't. For many of us, Wi-Fi is, or cell reception, is a need for communication, for email, for texting, for for accomplishing our jobs. What about a car? All of us probably need a car for our daily existence, don't we? Insurance, a computer, a tablet, a television. You might say, I don't need that, but if we didn't have it, it would completely change many of us, our lifestyles. 
a hot water heater. How do I know that? Because the last month or two, my pilot light has gone out multiple times. My wife will call me. The pilot light is out again. You need to fix this. And I say, don't you have Javen's phone number? Why are you calling me? And, uh, and uh, our repairman has come over and helped us a couple of times. It changes your lifestyle. You wake up and there is no hot water. That that's becomes a part of our lives. Running water. Uh, whatever it might be, the list could go on. Some of the things that I've mentioned are new in our lifetimes. Yet they really, if we're honest, they've become necessities in our lives. Things that we need to live the way that we live, not even just to, it's not some extravagance, but to live the lives that, that God has called us to live. And again, if you don't think that's true, I, I dare you put your phone in a drawer and don't touch it for 24 hours. Some of you might be able to do that. Many of us would go through withdrawals. I didn't say many of you, I said many of us. We might struggle a little bit. As I mentioned, we've answered four questions over the past month in this stewardship series. This morning, I want us to answer the question. I want you to really ask yourself and answer the question, are you satisfied? Are you satisfied? In 1 Timothy 6, we're going to stay here this morning, and we're going to see some things from this passage. Before we jump into the passage, uh, the story is told of a pilot who always looked down intently at the coast of Newport Beach as the waves hit the shore every time his plane would pass overhead. And if you ever fly out of Orange County Airport, you know how they do that weird thing when you pass over Newport Beach, they turn the engines off. You know what I'm talking about? Any of you? I'm always like, what happens if they don't turn back on after that? It always scares me a little bit. Mid-flight, they turn the engines off, flying over. And the story is told of a pilot that would make that trip nearly every day, and, and his, his co-pilot would see him. He would always be staring intently down as the, sho- as the waves hit the shore there on Newport Beach. And one day his co-pilot asked him, why do you always stare down there when we cross, when we pass there? And The pilot responded, he said, you see, when I was a little kid, I grew up in Orange County, and I used to go to the beach in the summer, it felt like every day, and and I would sit there, and I would see the planes flying overhead, and while I was there playing on the beach as a kid, I always dreamed and thought, man, one day I'd love to be the one flying that plane going over the beach. He said, and now that I'm the one that's flying the plane going over the beach, every day I look down and say, man, I wish I could be down on the beach playing in 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 the waves. It's interesting how human nature is that whatever we don't have is what we want. Whatever, whatever, we, whatever we're not is what we wish we, ought, we were. If you have straight hair, very often what do straight people with straight hair like? They'll go and pay to get a perm. Why? I want curls. I don't, but maybe you do. I just want hair. I don't care if it's straight or curly. <laughs> if you have curly hair, Katrina, I see you shaking your head. What do people with really curly hair do? They pay to get their hair straightened, or they buy a straightener. And, and people with, that, with really straight hair, they see somebody like Katrina's little girls or, that have the, the really curly hair, man, that's so beautiful, I wish I had those curls. Whatever we don't have, we want. In our lives, whatever that might be, ladies uh, sometimes with, with lighter skin will pay to go to a tanning bed or lay out in the sun or use bronzing lotion. Some of you ladies know you have it at home uh, to get a little darker. I was on a missions trip to uh, Cambodia, Singapore, Malaysia, and I was walking by a store and I saw this sign. I had never seen this in America. The second one on the right there, you can pay to get body whitening there. 
They have a tan. They have that dark olive skin. And they go, we pay some of, not all of us, but maybe, and not me, but I say we, I don't know I say we, some of you maybe pay and go to a tanning bed to get a little darker. And those that have that olive skin, they want maybe their skin a little lighter. I don't know where you're at on all of that, but isn't it interesting what we're not, sometimes we wish we were. When, when you're young, you can't wait to get a little bit older. Nobody's going to tell you what to do. You don't have to take naps anymore. I, why does my mom make me take a nap when I'm in kindergarten? When you're old, you would give anything for someone to tell you to go take a nap. Sometimes those who are single long to get married, and unfortunately those who are married wish they were single. When school's in session, the kids can't wait for summer. After summer's been there for a few weeks, kids and parents alike are like, when is school opening back up? It's just a part of human nature. Wherever we find ourselves, when we're young, we want to be a little older. When, I mean, when we're older, we want to be a little younger. If we're not careful, the human condition is such that we're never satisfied. There's always something else that I'm not or that I don't have that I wish I did. And we always, and so this morning, the question is, are you satisfied? Let's go to the three verses where we spent most of our time in 1 Timothy, just as a way of review, and then we'll jump into our text this morning. 1 Timothy chapter number 6, where we've been the last few weeks, verse number 17. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, charge them that are rich in this world. That's where our first message came from, are you rich? Talk to me, church, are we rich? We saw we were, week one. Charge them that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, here is week number two, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. They're not ours. They're gifts on loan from God, and we looked at who owns that. We have to answer the ownership question. That they Charge them what? That they do good works. Here's week number three. Are you generous? That they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. And then last week, verse 19, where's your home? Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Are you living just for the earthly, or are you living with the eternal in mind? This morning, we're going to go to the beginning of the chapter where Paul lays some foundational things regarding our mindset toward material things, and he, he makes the connection between our stuff and our spiritual lives. I want you to read responsively with this morning. We're going to start in verse 3 of this chapter, and we're going to read down to verse 12. I'll begin in verse 3. You join me on verse 4. I'll read alone on 5. You join me on 6 until we get to 12 where we'll finish it, all right? Let me begin in verse 3, and you join me on verse 4. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 3, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. Join me. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself, but godliness with contentment is great gain." For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich, by the way, that's, that's not they that are rich. It means that's their purpose for living. They'll do anything to get more. They that will be rich, it's a, it's a motivation issue. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things 
and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I want to look at a few things from these nine, nine or ten verses this morning. Number one, I want you to see uh, with this idea of are you satisfied, see number one, the lie. I want you to see the lie. You see it in verse number five? He says, supposing that gain is godliness. There, there's a mindset, he says, that's natural for us to look and say, the more someone has, the more values they have, the more valuable they are. The more someone has, the more God loves them. The more I have, the more God loves me. The more I have, the, the better a person I must be. The lie is that your money or your stuff is an indication of godliness or of God's blessing on you, that he somehow loves you more than someone else, that, that we can gauge someone's spiritual health by their economic health. He says, supposing that gain is godliness, that's a lie. It's a myth from such withdraw thyself that, that somehow we can gauge someone's spiritual health by their economic health, that if life is going well, that must equal the blessing of God. It's maybe one reason I had that song on my, my, my mind. I said, when things are going well, God is good. And when things aren't going what we would call well, God is still good. Be careful about this mentality. Well, I'm blessed because whatever, I, I, I got the, the bonus at work, I got the promotion. Well, I'm blessed. You're blessed if, you lose, if I lose my job or you lose your job today, we're still blessed. Be careful about believing that lie that if life goes well, you're a good person. If life goes badly, you must have upset God in some way. We think that way, don't we? When something goes wrong, well, God, well, why did you forget me? What did I do wrong? Well, what, what, what are you mad at me about? Isn't that what Job's friends thought about him, that wealthiest man in the East? When he had lost everything, he lost his business, he lost his children, he lost all of those things. I preached on it a couple Sunday nights ago. What did his friends, what was their immediate thought? Job, you did something wrong. God's mad at you. God's getting even with you. And was that true, church? Yes or no? Of course not. That wasn't true. If we use a New Testament term, Job was the greatest Christian on earth. He, he was the one that God said, this man is, is upright, a man of integrity. He hates evil. He loves good. But yet immediately his friends thought bad things came into his life. There must be something bad in Job's life. He must, be, he must be evil in some way. Don't believe that lie. It's the thinking of a corrupt mind that the prosperity gospel of health and wealth is unscriptural, church. I have seen carnal Christians who prosper materially, and I've seen sincere godly Christians in a financial crunch. By the way, you go to some other countries, I've seen sincere godly Christian servants that have lived for God for decades that have absolutely no material wealth or possessions. You and I would be millions of times richer than them. Be careful of believing that lie that gain is godliness. I, I've seen the greedy, selfish, dishonest person get the promotion or the bonus over the humble, hardworking, honest person. Gain does not equal godliness, so we need to understand that first. He gives him that as a, a, a foundation. Understand that, that gain is not godliness. Here's the reality. Look at verse number six. Would you read verse six aloud with me? Ready? Begin. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. What does he say? He says, here is the reality, Paul. I need you to teach people, and you need to understand this. Godliness with contentment 
is great gain in this world. We all want great gain, don't we? It's why we work hard. And one of the reasons why we work hard. If you have the opportunity to take a, a, 20 hour, a $20 an hour job or a $50 an hour job, we're going to take the $50 an hour job. How can we work our way up and, and do better here and be better at work and what's the, where my life can count more and maybe I can bring more in and be more of a blessing to my family? That's all of us. We're all seeking on some level gain in our lives. And he says, here is what you need to understand. Be careful that you don't equate gain with godliness. You notice they fortress me in this morning. I can't walk down these stairs. I'm about to jump over these boxes, but, but, but he, don't, don't equate gain with godliness. And here's what he says, you want to know what real gain in this world is, in this life is? Godliness with contentment. Here's what he's saying, who we are is more important than what we have. Who we are is more important than what we have. Solomon, who knew a little something about, being, about wealth and about gain, here's what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter number 15, better is little with the fear of the Lord, godliness with contentment, than great treasure and trouble therewith. Here's what he says, better is a dinner of herbs, a kale salad, which nobody wants to eat kale, it's a scam. He says, a dinner of herbs where love is, these boxes aren't holding me back, than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. Here's what he says. He said it'd be better to eat a bunch of herbs, just a salad, and have nothing than a stalled ox. You've got filet mignon for days. You've got ribs on the smoker. You've got all of that. But better is little with the fear. Now this, by the way, don't get the other idea. Sometimes we get this idea that the more impoverished we are, the closer to God we must be. It, our, our financial standing does not equate to our spiritual standing on either side of it. You're not, because I took some vow of poverty, that makes me closer to God. The Bible doesn't teach that, but he does say it'd be better if you had to choose to have great treasure and trouble in your relationships or have very little, but to have the fear of the Lord, you should choose the little and the fear of the Lord. Have your priorities right is what he's saying. I, I learned this lesson as a, I guess, 19 or 20-year-old college student. I went, after growing up in Northern California, born and raised in California, I went and interned in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Arkansas is a very different place than California. And uh, a pastor who had invested greatly in my life, his name is Eric Capace. I went and lived with he, he and his family. He was a young pastor at that time. He's still there pastoring the same church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And, and he had young children at that time, and he let me as a college student come live in his home. You want to know what his house was? It was a single wide trailer in a trailer park in Arkansas. It, it sat just like it sounds, that's what it was. And you know what I learned that summer living with that family? I saw one of the most joyful families I had ever seen. I looked forward to going to that single wide trailer every night and, and dinner with the family and fun and time and basketball hoop in the living room of that single wide trailer and the little kids we play one-on-one -on -one with Mo and Joe who are now all adults and serving the Lord with their lives and, and, and we would play in that, in, that, in, that, in that living room there and there was joy and there was laughter and you know what the Lord taught me? I remember reading that verse that was just up there um, and we're on, I think we're on the reality on that point anyways, Teach. but um, I, that verse that was just up there, I remember reading that while I was living there that summer. And I remember thinking, I'm watching this in action. The stuff we think matters the most is, takes a backseat to relationships and to love and to family harmony. 
Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says this, let your conversation be without covetousness. Be careful. You're always looking for more. And be content. Be satisfied with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. What is he saying? If you have Jesus in your life, you have all you're ever going to need. Why do you keep looking for more? When we have Christ, we have the greatest possession, and that should bring complete contentment. The uh, proverb Solomon again says, for wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. Who we are more important than what we have. He says in Proverbs 16:8, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. Proverbs 16:19, better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Proverbs 17:1, better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith than in house full of sacrifices with strife. Proverbs 28, 6, better is the poor that walketh in his uprightness than he that is perverse in his ways, though he be rich. You know who's writing this? A man, one of the wealthiest men on earth at that time. And what is he trying to teach us? I've had it all, and I'm telling you, peace in the home and love in the marriage and love with the children and, and a family unity and righteousness and a relationship with God and peace. Peace in your life is way more important than anything your money could ever buy. Are you satisfied? Are you getting the idea from Solomon there, from those verses I read? What has your focus been on? What is mine? Is our work more important than time with God and family? Is pleasure more important than service? Is stuff more important than generosity? I saw this morning a, a friend of mine who is a vice president of a college. We were there at a basketball tournament this week, and I, I saw him personally this week, and then I saw him tweet this morning that his father-in-law had passed away. And he says, my father-in-law, Joe Ford, went to heaven last night. Here's what he said. Thoughts. Faithful to his Lord. Faithful to his wife for 73 years. Reared six children who love and serve the Lord. Pastored four churches, one of which he started. Had much fruit that remained. Truly a good name. You know what I thought? You know what I thought? When we die, that's the stuff that those that are left behind really think about. Faithfulness to God and to their family. Family, their love for their children. Fruitfulness in spiritual things. Oh, they might be appreciative if we leave them a bunch of stuff, but you know, you, you don't often hear at a funeral or, or see on a tweet, so-and-so died left me a car, so blessed. I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny. That stuff really doesn't matter in the, in, in, in the big, it's all about who they were, not what they had or what they gave. What is Solomon, what, I'm sorry, what is Paul trying to tell Timothy? We need to change our thinking. Godliness with contentment is really where you've arrived in life, where you've truly succeeded in life. Why? Because what we have will not last, but who we are and what we do with what we have will. Let me say that again. What we have will not last, but who we are and what we do with what we have will. Again, Solomon writing in Ecclesiastes, as he, he tried to find all the pleasure he could in this world, what did he say in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 15? As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, labor which he may carry away in his hand. He can't take anything with him. Luke chapter number 12, Jesus said unto him, take heed and beware of covetousness, wanting more, not satisfied with who you are, with what God's given you and where he's placed you. And he said this, for a man's life 
life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Isn't that our mentality? All of us. I'm not saying yours. Your pastor struggles with this. What I have, it defines who I am. And the Bible, Paul's telling Timothy, teach them that's not what it is. Jesus is trying to teach them that's not what it is. Solomon, who had it all, is trying to teach them that's not what it is. What we have does not define our success, who we are and what we do with what God's given us does. Are you satisfied? Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. That's a formula that all of our children need to learn. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. More important than any algebraic formula they'll learn in school is that formula right there. This is what matters in life. Great gain, again, is what we're all after. It's why we invest in certain funds or the hottest tech stock or the latest real estate development or crypto or NFTs or whatever those things are. But godliness and contentment are the ultimate windfall. That's what Paul is telling Timothy here. What do you gain? What's the great gain that you get with godliness and contentment, church? May I suggest if you learn godliness and contentment, you gain a healthier marriage. You gain, you'll gain precious hours with your children. You'll gain a, a lot of money that you misspent in discontentment. You'll gain joy. You'll gain peace of mind. You'll gain the blessing of generosity. You'll gain a life not easily controlled by circumstance. Why? Because a life that's focused on godliness and contentment, the circumstances around us carry much less weight when our priority system is there. When we, Philip Keller said, when we surrender to God, the cumbersome sack of discontentment, we don't just give up something, we gain something. God replaces it with a lightweight, tailor-made, sorrow-resistant heart of gratitude. Contentment brings great gain. So what do I need to be content? Next, I want to give you the checklist. I started this message with a checklist of of our necessities in 2022. Did you know that this passage we just read gives gives us the idea that there are actually times when you have a right to be discontented? I'm going to say that again. This passage tells us, gives us the idea that there are times that you and I have a right to be discontented with where we are in life, with what God has given us in life. Have you ever been there? I have. Discontented with where I'm at, with maybe a a work situation, a a living situation, a financial situation. I'm going to give you in just a minute permission to be dissatisfied, to be a discontented, grumpy Christian if God hasn't or doesn't provide certain things for you. You see, there's a biblical checklist to answer the question of should you be satisfied? And if you don't have one of the things on the checklist, then you have my my permission, and I think you have biblical acceptable grounds to be a discontented Christian. Let's look at verse 8. Let's read it aloud. Ready? Begin. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. That wasn't very good. You don't want to read that aloud, do you? Let's read that aloud. Ready? Begin, and having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. That's the checklist. Food and clothes. That's the checklist. But my life didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. But I, but I didn't find the, the relationship I was hoping to find. This person did that to me. That, my career got, I got, I got mistreated there. I, I, whatever it might be that has you discontented in life, if it's not a part of that verse. Now, if you don't have those two things, but here's the problem. I'm looking around. I'm not trying to be crude, but you all have raiment. There's nobody naked sitting in here. And here's the second problem. 
We had donuts out in the courtyard, so you had options. You had an opportunity to get food this morning. Every one of us has that two-part checklist, don't we? And yet we're so often dissatisfied with where God's put us, with what he's given us, with how he made us, with where he's placed us. And having food and raiment and Wi-Fi and 27 pairs of shoes and ESPN and a sleep number bed with a heated mattress pad, let us be content. Now, by the way, I wouldn't mind some of those things. And I have some of those things. I don't have the sleep number bed. You pray for me. But I have Wi-Fi, and my wife tells us we have way too many shoes at our house. But it's one reason I encourage people to visit a foreign missionary and see a mission work in another land. It gives us perspective of what we really need and what's really important in life. Paul is appealing to basic logic here. What do we need when we're born, church? Clothes and food. And what do you need in your final days of life before you leave? You know, in your final days of life, I'm looking around at several folks here that in the last year you've had a loved one go to heaven. In your final days of life, all the stuff of life doesn't matter. You know what you need? Clothes and food. And family around you is a great joy, obviously, and a blessing. We complicate it by believing we need so much more in between. It's not wrong to have more than those two. Let me say that. It's not wrong to have more than those two, but it is wrong to need more than those two. It will create desires and appetites and discontentment if we're not careful. So can I give you and me some really practical advice this morning, church? Look at our last five major purchases and ask ourselves, did discontentment play a role in that purchase? How, how would I know if discontentment played a role in that purchase? I think one really simple way would be to examine, was the purchase based on a need or on an upgrade? You see, prior to today's sophisticated marketing machines, people bought things based on need. Like when their tractor broke, they went and bought a new tractor. When, when something stopped working, they went and got that. But today, what do we do today? We don't replace most of the time when things break. We replace things when a newer model of what we already have comes out. How do I know that? Why does Apple have that big event every year? To tell you about the new iPhone 4ZX G uh, Max Mini Pro Mega whatever that can do all of this. It washes your hands for you and combs your hair and does your dishes and watches your kids. And all of the new things, because this phone could not possibly be good enough a year from now. I've got to have that next one. And, and I've been there, again, I'm, I'm preaching to myself, not just to you. I don't always wait till my phone is completely broken and I upgrade. But just think about it, so often we purchase things not based on, on, on a need, but based on an upgrade. And you say, Pastor Ryan, why are you preaching this? Because I was telling my wife, I don't need to, I told, we don't need to replace that 16-year-old minivan that you're, you've been driving since our sophomore in high school was bo- before he was born. And I told her this morning, the true story, we're in the, in the restroom, in the bathroom getting ready, and I said, this message is for you, babe, because she has two or three things on her list she's trying to get me to buy right now. Don't do that, husbands. That's not a good thing to do on a Sunday morning. I said, I want you to take really good notes this morning, and uh, the three things that she's been asking that, I said, we don't need to upgrade. That's an upgrade. We don't need that. We already have what we need. Guess what's going to happen? I'm going to be upgrading some of that, all right? That's just how life works. But isn't it interesting? We see somebody else using their upgraded device or driving their upgraded car or cooking on their upgraded cooktop or sporting their upgraded wardrobe. Once we're aware that those products are out there, what do we do? We start scheming or planning, I mean, I guess we would call it. And our culture is screaming incessantly, you need this, you need that, buy this, buy them this. 
But contentment does not, nor has it ever come from possessing things. It comes from being possessed by him. When godliness and contentment is the goal, it's so much easier to sift through the constant marketing, simplify our lives, and ask ourselves, do we really need that? I know I'm not making friends this morning, but hopefully the Bible's helping us. I want you to see number four, the danger. Look at the danger of discontentment. Verse number nine. Notice this. But they that will be rich. Again, that's talking about a motive of the heart. I've got to be rich. That's what's going to make me happy in life. I'll do anything. I'll sacrifice my marriage. I'll sacrifice my kids. I'll sacrifice my integrity. I've got to be rich. Not they that are rich. They that will be rich. Look what it says. Fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Do you see it here? The love of money is the root of all evil. Not money. If money was the root of all evil, we would all have evil. We all have money. The love, that appetite for, I've got to have it. Notice what he says, which while some coveted after, they weren't content with what they had. They have erred from the faith. They have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. There is a real danger to discontentment, Paul says to Timothy. You'll fall into temptations. You'll fall into traps. You'll be controlled by harmful habit-forming desires. You'll plunge headfirst into destruction. You might wander from the faith. You'll fill your life with sorrows. You want to see that. Read up on the stories of those lottery winners, people that win the lottery, and read up what happens when I've got, this is what's going to make me happy, and I've got to get this, and see what happens, how happy it often makes them, and the destruction, and the temptations, and the traps, and the hurt that comes in their lives so often. Why? If you weren't content with where you are, here, that stuff is not going to make you content. The byproducts of discontentment here, he says, traps and sorrow and, and all of these things. Why? Because there will always be more to buy, more security to try to get, more status to achieve. The reality is that appetites have only one word in their vocabulary, and it's this, more. There's always more to get. Appetites are never fully satisfied. Solomon, the one who had it all, said this, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth increase with increase. He said, if what you think, if all you live for is stuff, you're never going to have enough. You buy the mansion, the realtor's going to show you there's another mansion, bigger and better and with a nicer view. You get the interior decorator to come, get all the new furnishings, guess what, in five years, that's not going to be the, new, the style, and you're going to want more. And it's not wrong to redecorate. That's one of the three things my wife wants to do, by the way. You pray for me. Redecorate in our master bedroom. And I told her, we are, it's already decorated, we're good. And so talk to me in a few months and see who won, all right? It's not wrong to redecorate, but if it's always, this is what's going to make me happy. The appetite will always want more. Appetites also exaggerate the consequences of not getting what you desire. Appetites exaggerate the consequences of not getting what you desire. If you have teenagers, you know what I mean. Mom, if I don't get that cell phone, I'll die. Or, or a teenage boy that's hungry, if I don't eat in the next five minutes, I'll starve to death. I'm starving. No, son, you're not starving. You're just a little hungry. Appetites are never filled, and so our hearts are never filled. We have full attics, full closets, full garages, but empty hearts. I'm going to get the American dream. I'm going to get that and get that and get that. And he who dies with the most toys wins. And we miss godliness, and we miss contentment, and we wonder why we feel so empty. 
because that stuff brought short-term pleasure, it brought short-term fulfillment, but it could never do what only God was intended to do in your life. In Cuba, when we were there, many folks there live on about 100 U.S. dollars a month. And it was interesting, as, as Sammy and I visited a couple of churches, the unbelievable joy of the Lord on, on some of the pastors and the members of those churches, the joy they have in serving Him. One man who had worked for the same church for 18 years, he told me he's never been off the island. He stayed in Cuba his whole life, never been off the island, never been on a vacation with his family, and yet this man had unbelievable joy. And I was making small talk. I love when I travel. I love to try local places. If I travel, I do not want to go to a chain, if, whether it's international or, or uh, domestic. I want to try something local, jump on Yelp, or ask uh, somebody that's around there, find something that you can only get there. I love try new things. So I asked this man, just making conversation, I said, hey, what, what would be your favorite restaurant around here in, in downtown Havana or wherever it might be? What would be your favorite restaurant? I wanted to try something that a man that's lived on the island his whole life would enjoy. And you know what he told me? He said, oh, I've, he has teenage kids. I've never, I, I don't take my, our family's never been out to eat at a restaurant. What? He said, if I have 30 or 40 extra dollars, I'm going to use that to buy clothes for my kids or, or shoes for my kids. We don't go out to eat, so I, I really don't know where to tell you to go. We, we cook everything at home. And I, and I thought to myself, man, I live in, in such a uh, blessed, I guess you, that's the wrong word, privileged. I don't like that word either. I, whatever it is, I have so many blessings and luxuries that I get to enjoy that I never even thought about the fact he has teenagers that have never taken their family out to eat. And yet, you know what he had? an unbelievable joy that so many of us struggle to find in our lives. He didn't feel like he was missing anything. His wife works full-time at the church with him. They love what they get to do with their life for the Lord. They're, they're joyfully serving. Psalm, the psalmist said in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. When he's our shepherd, we should be able to be satisfied. Number five, you've listened well. Let me wrap it up. Number five, the remedy. We've looked at the lie. We've looked at the reality. Godliness with contentment is great gain. The lie is that gain is godliness. We've looked at the checklist. If you have two things, we should be satisfied, food and raiment. The danger, there's a great danger to discontentment, and now we look at the remedy, verse 11. But thou, everybody else might be messing their lives up with discontentment, but thou, O man of God, Timothy, as a pastor, make sure you flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, Love, patience, meekness, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. What did he say? He said, Timothy, son in the faith, flee, run away from covetousness, run away from these unhealthy, sinful appetites that are always wanting more. Unsubscribe from that email if you can't control that appetite. Stop watching Chip and Joe Gaines if you can't stop obsessing about more shiplap in your house. If there's something feeding your discontent, and flee it, he says, more stuff won't bring more joy. May I say that again, more stuff, he says to Timothy, won't bring more joy. You know, you talk to a married couple, you know when they often say were some of the best years of their marriage? The early years. When they had absolutely nothing. Now, some might say those were the worst years in the world. We fought all the time. I don't, but maybe that's not your experience. You talk to a lot of people, man, those were some wonderful years. When you have almost nothing, but your focus might be on some things that are a little more important than the, all the stuff you have to take care of now. And the more stuff, as they say, more money, more problems, the more stuff you have, the more heartache or burden sometimes it can be, right? 
It's interesting that, that many, many couples say that. Why? Their focus was on things that mattered more. He said, he said, Timothy, flee covetousness. What does he say? Follow after righteousness and godliness. Get your focus on the right stuff. And then he says, fight to use your life for eternal purposes. He said it there. He said, flee that man of God and then f- uh, follow after and then fight the good fight of faith. Fight to use your life for eternal purposes. Part of the good fight of faith is contentment, generosity giving, learning to give. Timothy, learn, flee those things, follow after good, and fight to keep your priorities right, to fight the good fight of faith. Isn't it strange? Have you ever bought something and regretted it pretty quickly? We call that buyer's remorse, right? I've been there. We miss the money that we sometimes misspend. Like, that was really dumb. I didn't need that. We didn't need— we didn't, we, we don't need whatever that might be. That was not a good—we miss the money we misspend. Sometimes we miss money that we waste or poorly invest. Dogecoin, anybody? And it's like, man, I, I thought maybe that would do whatever it was going to do, and it didn't go to the moon. It went to the basement. Why, why did I jump on that train just because a bunch of people were talking about it? We miss money that we waste or poorly invest. But you know what you never miss? Money that you give to meet a need in someone's life. I've never never look back. When I've given to someone else, given to make a difference, I've never said, I shouldn't have spent that. I shouldn't have invested that. We become discontented with ourselves when we mishandle money, but we find contentment through responsible generosity. And so are you satisfied with what God's given you, with where he's placed you? And here's my closing question. If you're here in this room or watching online this morning, do you have the greatest gift of all? the gift of salvation in Christ alone? Are you satisfied in Christ because he is the only one that can bring true satisfaction? When we're satisfied in him, we'll be content with what he's given us and where he's placed us. Do you have the greatest gift of all? I didn't ask, what's your your annual salary? What's your portfolio look like? Where do you live? What do you drive? Do you have the greatest gift of all, eternal life, through Jesus Christ, your Lord, that Christ is the only one that can bring true, lasting contentment. If you're here this morning and you don't know that Christ is your Savior, please don't leave this property without talking to one of our pastors. Let us show you from the Bible how you can find eternal joy and eternal contentment that only comes through Christ. And if we do have Christ, are we content in him? Are we content with where he's placed us and with what he's given us? Or is it, I wish he would have made me that way. I wish I looked that way. I wish I had that family. I wish I would have grown up in that state. I wish I would have been given that head start. I wish I would have gone to that school. I wish I would have that job. I wish I... And it's always something else. Are you satisfied? Supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But teach them that godliness with contentment is great gain. It's a gift that money can't buy to live a life where their peace of mind is, I'm living for God and I'm content with what he's given me. That verse in Hebrews, one more time, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Lord, I thank you for your word, and you know that it convicts my own heart. So often I want something new, something different, and 
Lord, there's nothing wrong with us buying things from a store, but all of us, Lord, I pray we would all take inventory of our heart, of our motives, of our heart condition. Are we looking for fulfillment and satisfaction in things that earthly possessions could never bring? I pray that we would find our joy, our peace, our fulfillment in our relationship with you and in our contentment with the family you've given us, the life you've given us, the place you've placed us. Lord, you don't want us to live complacently, but you do want us to live contentedly. Complacency when we're satisfied with just who we are for you. Lord, we, we, we like Paul should say, we press toward the mark. We're trying to grow in grace. But contentment, God says, we're satisfied with who you are in our lives and what you've given us, where you've placed us. I pray for those of us in this room that might be struggling with some discontentment in our station in life right now, that you'd remind us of these things that Paul sought to teach Timothy and then charged him to tell others. That, God, we would live truly this week when we're thinking, I need that. Lord, help us to live satisfied. Satisfied with the, the mate you've given us. Satisfied with the family you've given us. Satisfied with the mate you haven't given us. Satisfied with singleness. Satisfied with with where you've placed us, satisfied with the trial you've allowed to enter our lives, to be like Job, to be able to say, you give and take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Help us to live that way, I pray in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.